When I was a little kid growing up in central Indiana, I remember this time of year as Memorial Day approached, and it was always our custom to go out to a little cemetery outside of uh, Crawfordsville, Indiana, uh, called Mace, is the name of the little town, and it was where my grandfather was buried and my, an uncle that had died. Uh, both the uncle died before I was ever born, and my grandfather, I was a very small child, didn't really remember him. But I can recall those scenes of going out to the cemetery, my mom and dad and uh, my other uncle and cousins and, and my grandmother, and standing by the grave. You know, and as a child, you don't really understand what's going on. And they would stand there real quiet and look at the grave and not say anything for a little bit, and then they'd begin to share some stories, and none of them anything to me, and as kids, I'd me and my cousins are run around a cemetery and that sort of thing. And I never really understood the significance of that until I got older. My brother passed away at a young age. And then when I went back to the cemetery and stood there by his grave, it meant something. And to think of those memories and to think about conversations we had and uh, the relationship that we had then as my father passed and my mother passed. And to go to those grave sites and stand there and to think back and to remember, especially my mom, things that she would say to me and encouragement she would give. It's a very meaningful situation. I'm sure many of you have experienced that. On Memorial Day, we honor, as we said a while ago, service people that have passed in uh, serving the military. And they speak to us in a way. They're, they speak to us of honor and courage and sacrifice, and duty, and loyalty, and patriotism, and we erect monuments in their honor that their memory remains of life. Well, God recognizing, I think, that propensity that we have, one reason we have the Lord's Supper, in which we engage every first day of the week, is a memorial, as we said, and that helps us remember Jesus, doesn't it, and to think about Him, and those things, but God also in His Word has provided a way for us to remember. And Hebrews chapter 11 is one of those great chapters that speak to us with a hall of fame of faith of men and women that have passed on, that we read about their lives, and here we have them in Scripture for us for all time, their lives and their words and their actions that we can look back and we can remember. In Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 4, the Bible says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. I want us to camp this morning on this phrase, he being dead still speaks. We recognize that, as I just said, in our lives with our relatives and our friends and even with service people, that those from the grave, though dead, have a message and can still speak. And so it is true with God's heroes. And we want to specifically focus upon Abel this morning and think about some things that Abel, from God's word, says to us, from the grave. Sure, it's good to see each one this morning. 
is uh, I look out over the audience and I see all of these empty pews. I am reminded of the number of people of our own church family that are out of town and uh, over this Memorial Day weekend are visiting other places, and we miss them, don't we? Uh, they're not with us, but as I look, I also see guests uh, that have come to be with us today, and we recognize you and thank you for coming and hope that you're edified and uplifted by our service today, by our worship, our fellowship together and that we can draw closer to God and hopefully to one another as we engage in this time together. If you're around this evening, I hope you could come back tonight at 5 o'clock. It's our singing time that we spend in praising God and speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That'll be at 5 o'clock tonight, and I hope that you can come back and be a part of that service as well. It'll be a very meaningful service. It always is each month. So we're glad you're with us today and hope as we think about these words from Hebrews 11:4 that they will be helpful to us. Abel, of course, goes back to very early time in Genesis, and he speaks to us in a way that is unique because we read of his relationship with his brother and what happened to him as his brother rose up and took his life. So what does Abel say to us today? How does he speak to us today? Well, let me suggest in the beginning that from the grave, Abel says that the word of God is the foundation of faith. That Abel is the first man, according to the sacred record, that ever offered the kind of sacrifice that we read about here. That he took a lamb, a blood sacrifice, and he offered it to God. And if you stop and think about that for just a moment that there is no established precedent for Abel to follow. There is no example for Abel to emulate. That there is no outward encouragement that stimulated him to do what someone else had done. His conduct in offering this lamb was not something that was suggested by popular custom of that day, nor was his action regulated in any way but common sense. And it was neither carnal reasoning nor personal inclinations that could have moved Abel to offer this sacrifice. And so how is this behavior accounted for? Why is it that the Bible says that he took a lamb and he offered this sacrifice? Well, our text answers the question. It says, by faith, Abel, Hebrews 11:4. by faith, Abel offered to God. And so by faith, Abel, being dead, still speaks. I think that's significant. In the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we see an example of a man walking by faith, offering a lamb by faith. He, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so that would suggest to me that God told Abel to do this, did he not? That God commanded this. If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and Abel did this, and he did it by faith, he did what God told him to do. And so I suggest that Abel speaks from the grave. And what Abel says to us today is that everything that we do in religion must be done by faith the source of which is God's Word, that we must lay aside feelings and traditions and parental guidance and denominational dogmas and, and so-called personal experiences, and we must walk by faith, 
just as Abel did. He being dead still speaks. Now, oftentimes we will take what I just said and we like to apply that to folks that are not in our building this morning. I don't mean our members that are not here, but people that hold different positions religiously about faith. And yet here's something that I'm noticing a great deal among us, among those that have been brought up in the Lord's church, among millennials, and not just millennials, but I have noticed that especially among millennials, there is a great deal of subjectivism today. And I hear young people, college students often talking about, I think and I feel and I believe. And I find them, in fact, I just had someone started following my blog, and it was, they have a blog, and I think for a member I was called Radical Millennial. And I thought, I wonder what this is about. And I started looking at their blog, and these radical millennials, as they call themselves, that are writing this blog, reject the traditional church. Now, they don't reject Jesus, they say. They just want to reject the church. And I hear sometimes young people speaking with disdain of the church of Christ. Or they speak of disdain at acts of worship. Or they speak of disdain of of, of coming on Sunday and going through what we go through in our worship each week. Because they they have found a better way, some of them think. Well, what we did this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we did by faith. We come together on the first day of the week by faith. Because God tells us to. I eat the Lord's Supper by faith because that's the apostolic example. And we do it every first day of the week by necessary implication. We do that by faith. We sing. In fact, some are getting a new revelation day that there's other ways to make music and praise God. But the Bible says that we sing and make melody. We do that by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Abel reminds us of that, that he did what God said because God told him to do it, and he did it by faith. And so then that leads us, secondly, to the fact that faith produces action. And Abel from the grave reminds us of that, that Abel's faith prompted him to do something. Genesis 4 and verse 4 says that he brought, he brought before God a lamb. Our text in Hebrews 11.4 says that he offered. You see, it wasn't enough for Abel to say to the Lord, Lord, I believe, and then go on his merry way and do his own thing. We were talking about in our young adult Bible class this morning about the importance of internalizing what we hear and develop a habit of not just listening to God's Word and reading God's Word and believing God's Word, but putting it into practice of doing it, of doing what God said. Faith produces action. Wouldn't it be a wonderful day if folks could learn the importance of faith being perfected in works? I know in James 2 and verse 24, I'm reminded that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And oftentimes we will use that verse as we confront error in a religious world, theological error, that teaches a doctrine of faith only. And yet, brother and I would remind us that it's not good enough just to apply that to folks that may hold a different theological position that is not a biblical position, but that we need to apply that. That we need to do what God said. It's not enough to believe it. It's not enough to come into a worship assembly and say, yes, that's right, but we must do what God said. We must give audience 
to this ancient antediluvian whose voice cries forth from the grave and he says, if you believe, you will obey. That faith produces actions. From the grave, Abel speaks to us. And Abel says that God is the object of worship. By faith, Abel offered unto God. Abel recognized that the lamb was an expression of of homage and and respect and veneration prayed to Jehovah. His worship was Godward. It was not done to be seen of men. It was not to honor Adam and Eve. It had nothing to do to spite his brother Cain who offered a different kind of sacrifice. And we need to learn that lesson as well, that God is the object of of worship we come into an assembly like this in the presence of god and yes i I know we're in god's presence every day but we come in a unique way a special way a god-ordained way that we come together to worship jesus told this samaritan woman in john 4 verses 23 and 24 but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper will worship the father in spirit and truth For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those that worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. We often note two elements there, don't we, of worship. Spirit and truth. I think it's worth reminding ourselves that it is not enough just to worship in truth either. That while certainly everything we do must be based upon truth, and we've already indicated that we operate by faith as Abel did, and we do what God said, that here in this passage Jesus reminds us that our worship must be according to spirit. It must be with our whole being. It must be with our whole heart. That worship is not a ritual that we just go through the motions of it, but that we put our being in it and that God is the object of it. We're not here to please someone, some man, but to please God. Hebrews 13 and 15, the writer says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. God is the object of of worship and so we need to heed the clarion cry of this pious patriarch of old cease wrong kind of worship undo worship of men and worship that is just ritualistic in its nature we need to worship god as he is dictated in spirit and in truth from the grave abel tells us that god rejects will worship the writer says in Hebrews eleven four that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how God made known his acceptance of Abel and his rejection of Cain. The Bible says he did accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain, but we're not told exactly how. I don't know if he sent fire down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice like in the days of Elijah, or maybe a voice thundered from heaven. But anyway, Cain knew it. Think think for a moment about Cain. Cain wasn't an infidel. Cain believed in God. Cain was not an irreligious person. He, He came before God as a worshiper. But Cain refused to conform to the divine appointment. 
And Abel's sacrifice, the scripture says, was more excellent because it was what God commanded. And Cain's sacrifice was the result of his own self-will. In Jude 8, Jude says, Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. He said, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Now, it's interesting here in a context that Jude is talking about these false teachers. And he speaks of them in, in, this, in this terrible description of their, of their character and their teaching. And he says, Woe to them, but he said they have gone in the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? The way of Cain is the way of rebellion. It is the way of self-will. It is the way of religious hypocrisy. It is the way of disobedience to God's law. It is the way of self-justification for one's failure. It is the way of contempt for God. It is the way of bitterness and anger and envy for one's brother that would lead to a hatred that would ultimately give birth to murder. Will worship. Now, where do I get that expression? Colossians 2.23. Paul said, Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And there he is talking about those that had a mixture of Judaism and Gnosticism and it developed their own way of worshiping that they thought would be pleasing to God. And he called it will worship will worship now one translation puts this self-imposed worship or another self-imposed religion and so here is the idea of a worship or a religion that is based upon human wisdom and as i suggested a moment ago that's subjectivism Human wisdom, will worship. See, Cain and Abel stand before us as two representative men. Cain sets forth the vast majority of people, the Bible tells us, that want to honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from Him. And they think to pay a compliment to God is a good thing, and yet they refuse to meet His requirements. They pose as worshipers, that want to please themselves. I don't know how many times that I have talked to people, and again, many times this is young people, but not always, that go into a worship trying to evaluate the feeling they get out of it. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've come into worship services sometimes because of maybe a challenge I'm facing, because maybe uh, I'm not feeling good physically because of distraction, maybe a lot of reasons. And my feeling is not always as good as I would like for it to be. But does that mean there's something wrong with the worship or something wrong with the church or something wrong with the song leader or something wrong with the preacher? You know, feelings come and feelings go. And we've got to be very, very careful that we don't allow ourselves to be subjected and led just by our feelings, the way that we think about a thing or the way that we feel about it. That's Cain. Abel, on the other hand, who was hated by Cain, as we read in Genesis 4, foreshadows that little flock of believers who are made to feel their sinnerhood, who bow down to God's will and comply with God's commands. 
and understand what it really means to worship God and to serve God. You think about the centuries that have passed since Abel's murder in the beginning of time. And yet the Bible said he being dead still speaks. That the blood of this murdered man cries out. And what does it say? Disregard human inventions. Don't lean on your own understanding. Adhere strictly to the revelation of the Holy Spirit. He being dead still speaks. God rejects will worship. That's the way of Cain. And then from the grave, Abel says, righteousness is the result of faithful obedience. The passage says that he obtained witness that he was righteous. Now, how did he obtain witness that he was righteous? By his obedience. That's how we obtain witness that we're righteous. It's not by our own works of righteousness, which we have done. It's the works of God's righteousness. It is the work of obedience. I'm reminded in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and in verse 30, where Jehovah speaks. We can get this to move. All right, I'm locked up there back there, guys. See if you can move the PowerPoint for me. I appreciate that. There we go. Jehovah said, for them that honor me, I will honor. Who? Those that honor God. Those that obey God. Those that do what God said. God said, those are the ones that I will honor. Or how about in Psalm 19, verse 11, talking about the commands of God. He said, in keeping them, there is great reward. There's great reward in what? Keeping the commands of God. That righteousness is a result of faithfully obeying and keeping the commands of God. Or in Acts 11 and verse 35, when Peter is speaking to the Gentile household of Cornelius, or he's recounting that rather from Acts 10, and in chapter 11 as he's speaking to the Jews, he said, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Who's accepted by him? Well, whoever fears him and works righteousness. And so the idea that righteousness is the result of faithful obedience. And so Abel cries forth from the grave, from the dim and distant past. Think about it. From the other side of the flood, actually. And what does he say? He says, follow my faithful example. Obey God and be counted as righteous. That's what Abel says. And then from the grave, Abel says, God rewards the righteous. Genesis 4.4 says, The Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he punishes the disobedient. What does it say about Cain? The Lord did not respect Cain and his offering. You know, in human reasoning, we might look at this and say, well, that wasn't fair because Cain was a farmer 
And, and Cain brought the fruit of the ground, and, 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 and Cain thought it was a good thing. He, in his own way, he was serving God. In his own way, he was worshiping God. Now, what was the problem? The problem was he disobeyed. And here in the very beginning, we read here of God rewarding the righteous, of having favor and respect to obeying his command, and punishing the disobedient. And though Abel was ruthlessly slain by Cain, the spirit of Cain exists today, does it not, in those that reject God? And the spirit of Abel exists today as he speaks forth in the grave and he reminds us of the importance of doing what God said to do. He being dead, still speaks. I'm reminded of the scene in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 6. And I think it would be safe to say that Abel is numbered among that company that the Apostle John identified there. When he opened the fifth seal, John said, I saw under the altar the souls of those that have been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Is not Abel among the cloud of witnesses, those heroes of faith that the Hebrew writer said surround us, that he, the innocent victim of a malicious murderer, stands approved of God, and he cries forth as example for you and I to emulate. His voice is vocal. His voice even comes from the grave. His voice verifies and visualizes the reward that awaits the righteous. He, being dead, still speaks. We may go to a cemetery tomorrow, and we may stand there over the grave of loved one, and you may, you may recall some encouraging words. You may recall some moments in your life when your loved one was alive that mean a lot to you. And that, that's all well and good. That, that's, that's certainly fitting and proper. But ladies and gentlemen, wouldn't it be good for us to look into passages like Hebrews 11, read of these great men and women of faith, and to realize that there are principles there in the New Testament that God has placed for us for all time, for all time, that we are to be people of faith, that we are to listen to these people, though dead, yet speak through the living Word of God. I hope this simple lesson will be a reminder of that and will help us realize the importance of walking by faith and doing what God had, had has commanded for you and I to do. We close our service this morning. We know the heart of no one here. It may be that you have come with a burden on your heart of making your life right with God in some way. I don't know. It could be that you're a Christian that has not, has not been following the voice of God and the will of God and need to make amends, maybe even in a public way, and ask for the prayers of the church family here. And we'd certainly be glad to support you and, and to help you in that. Could it be there's one here this morning that's not a Christian? You've never obeyed the gospel of Christ. And the Bible speaks. The Bible tells us exactly 
what God requires of us, to be right with Him. And the voices of the apostles, though dead, their words are recorded, aren't they, in the living Word of God. The words of Jesus, though He died, He arose from the grave, and His words still live, and they speak to us today. And they say, believe. Believe that I am He, or you will die in your sins. They say, repent. Repent, Jesus said, or you will perish. Those are the words of the Savior. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. And Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be condemned. Those are the words from centuries ago, but they're still applicable today. And they still point us today to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so if you're subject to the gospel call, if you would be right with God, and if you by faith would step out, and become what God would have you to be. It would be our pleasure and our privilege to assist you in your obedience to begin to walk with God and to listen to the voice of the Lord. Would you come as we stand and while we sing?